0: Welcome to Have Hope Will Travel, the show where we get to know people who are different than we are, we hear diverse perspectives, and we better understand other stories. We allow the world to become a smaller place as we stand with people instead of just having opinions on issues. I'm your host, Katie Axelson. October is book month, and we're celebrating with bookstagrammer Marla Taviano of White Girl Learning. You may remember Marla from episode 76, where we got to hear pieces of her story. We talked about deconstruction, we talked about being a missionary, we talked about divorce. In this episode, we're talking about race. We're two white women talking about our journeys to learning about diversity and inclusion and to becoming anti-racist. There are a lot of phenomenal resources mentioned in this episode, so I'll take a minute to remind you that every single episode is transcribed. So if you miss an author's name or a recommendation, feel free to check out the transcript at katieaxelson.com. It's also available in the show notes on the apps that are inclusive and support transcripts. So. Let's bring in Marla. Um, So I would love to just start at the beginning. What made you interested um, in hearing other stories and then starting White Girl Learning?
1: Okay, well, so (laughs) it's always a challenge for me. Where do I start my story? Um, And since we are talking about White Girl Learning, I won't go all the way back. I will just say that I grew up in a very um, white environment, a very sheltered environment. actually, my parents grew up in this really small town in Ohio, my maiden name is Yoder, which I later found out is, is literally the whitest name in the whole entire country, like 99 point something, something percent of Yoders are white. And um, they were born in this small town and then moved to a slightly bigger town slash city. And that's where I grew up for a while until I was getting ready to start uh, junior high. And I was going to go from this Um, small elementary school to this massive junior high. And I think my parents, it's not the only reason they moved back, but that really intimidated them. And they thought, Mm -hmm. let's maybe raise our family in this small town we grew up in rather than this area that we live in now. So in sixth grade, we moved back to this small town and that's where my parents still live. And that's where I grew up. And like I said, just really Really white. I also found out later that I think it's what is called a sundown town, which mm. is a town um, historically that Black people knew to avoid after the sun went down because their oh. lives were going to be in danger. And I've also learned a lot of things. I mean, I've learned so much that I've learned, but sure. that there's a reason why towns are all the way white. Mm. Um, it's not just, oh, it just so happened that only white people live here. There's there's almost always a reason. Mm -hmm. Um, So I went from my high school to a small Christian college that was also very white. (laughs) And from there, just a lot of different things happened. But I did my student teaching in Okinawa, Japan. So that was my first experience um, where I was in the minority and I was learning from people who were very different from me. And I had always loved stories of missionaries growing up. My aunt and uncle were missionaries in Indonesia. Um, that's another trail that I can go down <laughs> later if we talk about that. Um, but yeah. so much that I have learned and so much has changed in how I feel about that as well, because sure. um, growing up, I just thought these people needed Jesus and we needed to go tell them and how would they go to heaven without us and very much a mm-hmm. white savior complex that yeah. I didn't have the wording for. Um, mm-hmm. But so I went to Japan, came back, got married. um, And that was, let's see, that's so 1997 is when I was in Japan, 1998 is when I got married, Um, had three daughters in 2000, 2002, and 2006. And just always really had a um, curiosity about the world, but I had only ever been uh, Mm -hmm. to Japan for those three months. Um, and then in, uh, 2008, and I see now how this story kind of fits into the whole thing, but I didn't realize it at the time we started going to zoos around the country. Um, I wanted to see the world. We didn't have the money to see the world. And so I thought we could see animals from around the world. That would be one way to introduce, um, our kids to different countries and, and a lot. And again, uh, zoos are another thing that I've changed my mind about, um, but a lot of a lot of it is good. They are um, learning about animals, learning how to conserve animals in their natural habitats. Um, just like anything in in life, it's not all good, all, not all bad. So there are people doing good things with zoos, and also, of course, terrible things. Um, So this turned into this adventure where we decided to try to go to 52 zoos in 52 weeks.
0: Wow. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And we did it from August 1st, 2008 to August 1st, 2009. And we stayed with, so we we literally had very, very little money. My husband was self-employed. I was writing um, Christian books for women at the time, and it did not bring in a lot of money. Um, And one of my my youngest was, oh no, none of them were homeschooled at the time. They were in school and we just went on, we didn't go to one zoo per week. We went like, um, we'd go to like six in a row on the East coast or whatever. Anyway, long story short, we, we did all all of that. We stayed with 31, 33 families, maybe 17 of them. We had never met before. So we met online. Um, we did all that. And then we came back from that. Um, one of our friends who was a black pastor, he wanted to start an um, interracial like church where it was like multi-ethnic. And, and so we helped do that. And that was like around 2009. And then, um, so I continued writing throughout this time, which is an, another story, but I, last year I, I published for the first time in a while, um, I self-published it. It's a book called Unbelieve, Poems on the Journey to Becoming a Heretic. Mm-hmm. And I talk in this book. And I actually, I'm going to read this one poem because it, Please. it has to do with this. So it's called Hashtag Trayvon Martin. Why aren't my white friends talking about this? A Black friend mm-hmm. asked in her February 2012 Facebook post. Taken aback. I didn't know. Trayvon Martin, a Black teen, murdered. He was just 17, another senseless, unjust death of someone unarmed and black by a man taking the law, in quotation marks, into his own damn hands. I began to look, to read, to learn, heart sick, broken. His death was my catalyst, changed me, changed everything. But his mama doesn't have her baby and never will. Trayvon, you woke me up and you'll never wake up. And everything in the world is wrong, wrong, wrong with that. And- that's what happened. So I was mm-hmm. in this church meeting new friends. My my friend circle mm-hmm. had gone from mostly white to having a lot of black friends. And then that just hit me in the chest because my new friend had said, why aren't my white friends talking about yeah. Taylor Martin? And I'm thinking, wait, what? And Wasn't I, mm-hmm. yeah. And so it's, it's uh, um, as people know, who have woken up to to racism and all these things, things The fact that there's this, that everything that's going on in the world and you are somehow oblivious and then you realize Mm why you're oblivious, it's because you don't have to know. It doesn't affect you. Your children aren't Black and so they're not in immediate danger anytime they go outside in a hoodie. Mm -hmm. Um, So that just kind of snowballed from there. So I can look back now in my journals and things and see like snippets of waking up but that's sure. what it took was this this um big event and like i said i hate that that it was mm-hmm. a a boy's death like it took yeah. that to wake me up and um so let us see that was 2012 we, we were still at this church and just learning a whole bunch of things and getting together and talking about racism we'd have these. it was pretty heated discussions we'd have people who got so angry about us bringing up race. And then mm. we would like, different people would say, wait, I thought you joined this church, like knowing, and they had joined the church wanting to do church with black people, but not wanting to get into all of the, you know, the, the whatever. So that has been a big thing for me that I, I really push back on anyone who wants quote unquote racial reconciliation or wants us all to be friends or even have a beloved community like Martin Luther King Jr. called it. Um, those things are great. Those things are ideal, but we don't get to, as white people, try to put everything from the past under the rug mm. and start fresh. Like imagine, I mean, this is this off the top of my head, not maybe not a great example, but someone abuses you or does all these horrible things to you and then just comes to you and says, let's just put all that aside and let's start here. You don't, you don't get to do that. You have to admit to all the things you have to heal from the things. And at least for me, I had to learn about all the things Mm -hmm. I didn't even know what the history was. Um, And so anyone who comes to me and wants to be anti-racist without learning all the history and having a reckoning with that history and especially people in the church because if you look back in in U.S. history Christians were not the good guys (laughs) like they they were complicit or leading the charge in all of these things like lynchings and and slavery I mean the enslavers were I don't know percentages but many to most of them were Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, there's even something called a slave Bible where they would have a preacher come in and preach to their um, enslaved <laughs> people, but they wouldn't, they would cut out any parts that talked, like the Exodus story where wow. the Israelites got freedom or anywhere where um, Paul talks about freedom or anything like that. It was a literal Bible, like chopped up, blacked out. And this is the safe things that you you can preach so Christians are right right in there so the, another part of my story is, is a kind of deconstructing of my faith and seeing Christians not want to talk about racism or not want to talk um, about the LGBTQ community or not all these different things and me thinking wait a second how is this all going to work so that's what my, my book is about sure. um, but white girl learning came about because I've been reading I learned to read when I was four and I have just, I read constantly, I'm 46. And I've been reading every day since then. Um, and I realized that almost every book I was reading was by a white author. Mm-hmm. And I've since had arguments with people who say, well, I don't care about the color of the author's skin. I just read good books. And I'm here to say that if you're not intentional in finding books that are written by black authors, indigenous authors, other authors of color. By default, you're gonna read white authors because those Mm -hmm. are the ones we hear about. Those are the ones that get the big book contracts. Those Mm -hmm. are, and so here was again, me waking up to Toni Morrison and Alice Walker and Octavia Mm -hmm. Butler, these black women who had been writing fiction for decades. Mm -hmm. And I never, knew about it. I read Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry by Mildred Taylor in seventh grade. Mm -hmm. And to my recollection, and it might not be that good, but I don't remember another Black author. Like we read quote unquote classics, um, but never by, never by Black authors. So I decided I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to start reading books by people who are not white. And I started that in I didn't know bookstagram was a thing. Like I learned from someone, I saw that one of my friends was posting books in these interesting setups. Like she'd put little things around the book and take a photo and talk about the book. And I was like, whoa. And then I saw that a bunch of people were doing that. And I thought, well, I can do this, but I can do it um, just with books by um, black indigenous authors of color. And I decided to call it white girl learning because Jacqueline Woodson, who is a black queer writer who I absolutely love, she has a book it's it's for kids but it's one of my favorites and it's called brown girl dreaming mm. and it's a story about her life growing up and how she wanted to be a writer and um so that's where white girl learning the name came from and we were living in Cambodia at the time so that's another part of my story yeah. that in, in 2015 we moved to Cambodia kind of as missionaries kind of as humanitarians um and that's another whole thing, but so it's 2017 in December. So coming up mm-hmm. on five years and I just started posting books and I just started meeting people and reading more mm-hmm. and more and more and more. And it's, um, it's been like the, one of the best
0: things that has ever happened to me cool. <laughs> in my life. Yeah. I just- Let's talk about why does it matter to have a more diverse perspective? Like, why does it matter to be having conversations about race, to be having conversations about, about, say, George Floyd or um, Ahmaud Arbery or Breonna Taylor and the other people um, who unfortunately have lost their lives in innocent situations?
1: Yeah, it matters ultimately, because like you said, these people died and they should still be alive. Mm -hmm. And they did not die by accident Mm -hmm. and died as part of a pattern and it's a pattern that can be traced back really, really far. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not a historian or an expert, and sometimes I, I, am like, okay, let me make sure I got all my facts straight or whatever. But I, I can yeah. offer general knowledge, and people can then go explore it themselves. Mm-hmm. But the history of policing in this country, um, police were created. That job position was created to make sure that enslaved people did not escape and if they did they were returned to their owners to their um to the enslavers so that's how it started so policing started as a way to protect white people's property and to make sure that black people had no freedom now it I don't again, I don't know the whole history. I don't know how this changed. And again, it's a thing where is every policeman or woman a bad racist? No. Is the system as a whole corrupt? It actually is. Are there good like could your city possibly be one of the good precincts or have one of the maybe? No, I don't I live know. in Minneapolis. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yours we know that. That has been established. Yeah. So um, but historically, and you when you take that thread and look back, it, police officers are there to protect white people. Mm-hmm. And do some police officers or most or many also protect black people? I'm sure they do. I'm sure, but again, studies have shown that in the heat of a moment, if you are scared, then, It's like these, um, I forget what the tests are called, like the bias test or something where you're going to pull a trigger on a black person before you would a white person. And we can see this playing out now when we see a young white man go into a church and kill nine people. Mm -hmm. And he is brought out, given a hamburger to eat, is sitting in handcuffs, and he's alive. And then we see... Um, a black man who doesn't even have a gun and is shot down. Yeah, 40 bullets. Like, and again, is it every single time? Is every single mm-hmm. black man this? No, but the pattern is obvious. Yeah. And like just like I didn't know about a pattern when I mm-hmm. when my friend first said that about Trayvon Martin, a lot of people don't know about the pattern. So they think when they hear something like, well, let's just wait and find out or let's hear this couldn't be. Um, And I think sometimes like when I was growing up, well, no, I was an adult, but I had voted for George Bush for president. And I just thought he was this wonderful man. And again, this is not about him or whatever. But I watched this documentary that was talking about the Bush family and some things they had with oil companies and some things Mm -hmm. they had done that were suspect. And that cognitive dissonance for me, I was like, this can't be true. Like, this can't be true. What sure. I know about this and what you're telling me now can't be true. So yeah. for people who grew up and the policemen are protecting them and they are kind and they are public servants and they're laying their lives on the line. And then you want to say that po- police officers will often shoot unarmed black and you're like, no, 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 no. Wait, something I can't, mm-hmm. I won't, I can't believe that that can't be true.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and so the more we... really open up to the idea that something we believed could possibly not be true, the easier it becomes. But I try to remind myself of how terrifying it was at the beginning for me to to first start questioning things. And that's how it was with my Christian faith. I had been taught that what I believed was absolutely correct, correct and true. Mm -hmm. And what other people believed was false. And the whole idea was, to build up this case, build up this armor. Don't let anybody's false teachings get in. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I did. And I think that's what we all do. And when we want to be proud of our country and we have this narrative that we believe that we came here for freedom and we were pioneers and it was beautiful and wonderful and we worked so hard and now we have what we have. And we don't want people coming along and telling us that, we actually used slave labor to build what we have yeah. or like yeah. all of the different and the lynchings. I didn't know about lynchings, all the the black people over a period of 50, 70 mm-hmm. years that were just killed by a mob, like kind of like a Maud Arbery. These men took it into their own hands. They decided they didn't like what he was doing and where he was at and were going to we're going to kill him. And it, again, it's a pattern and it's been going on for so long. And I honestly don't remember, I can't blame my teachers. I don't know if they taught me about stuff. I don't remember most of what right. I learned sure. in school, but, but I feel like some of these things that I'm learning now in my forties, I would have remembered like if they, sure. if I would have heard that. And I actually collect old um, history books and Christian history books yeah. oh, and boy. Um, I haven't looked through a whole lot of them, but I do know, like, there's a a book that says just a small section on slavery in a, in an elementary book, a history book for a Christian school. And it says something to the effect of the weather was warm and the slaves were happy. Like, it's just making this, oh, it's okay. This this is just how it was. We had the plantation and they did the work and this, and, and yeah, it's just so there's so much to learn. It can be so overwhelming. And I try I used to when I first started learning, I was like, just putting everything out there and people got offended. I felt I was shaming people. I'm better about that now. Um, And it's a fine. I don't exactly know where where the line is. I don't exactly know. And maybe nobody does. But how you can educate people without coddling them, I guess, like, Mm -hmm. We don't want to hurt people's feelings, but black people are dying. So yeah. which is more important, my feelings or your life? Their um,
0: lives. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, so yeah, Do you I don't any... remember your question. That's okay. Do you have any <laughs>
0: tips on finding that fine line between shaming and coddling?
1: I just read a book, all the white friends I couldn't keep by Andre mm-hmm. Henry, I think is. It. And, um, He talks a lot about how when he first started waking up, so what I have realized is many of my Black friends and many Black authors also had a time of waking up. They had been, um, I mean, they all have different stories, obviously, but many of them had to assimilate into their white culture, their white neighborhood, their white church, Mm -hmm. and so just like I wasn't paying attention to black people being gunned down the street, neither were they, because their (laughs) communities were all white because that's where they could find belonging, success. Um, And then they all started waking up too. And he talks about how at the beginning, he he wanted to sit down with people who um, were actually very racist and try to change their minds. And over the course of time, he realized I, I'm not those, I can't, I can't reach those people. They are so determined that they're going to argue with me, fight with me. They don't want to listen. Um, so that's kind of my philosophy now too. I'm not going after the people who have zero desire to listen. My, my people are the ones who, um, they're curious, they're asking questions, they're scared. Mm -hmm. Um, and so those are the people that I, that I want to kind of help through that. And so as far as the coddling and the, and the shaming, I don't shame, but coddling, I just, I try to be honest and I say, listen, this is going to be hard. You're going to learn some things and it's overwhelming. And it is, it can almost be a full-time job to try to learn all these things. And you think, I just have too much going on. I can't do this. And again, I say, someone said to me once, um, learning about all of this is exhausting. And she, she then she said right after that, I suppose you're going to tell me that racism is exhausting for black people. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's what I'm going to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> See, you know, um, and that's kind of the deal. Like we have the privilege of putting it aside and coming back to it when we have time or mental energy or the space to process. And I think that's what happened in 2020 um, when George Floyd was murdered. And I I don't know how that um, particular death blew up into all of these white people listening and learning. I mean, I, Mm -hmm. I do have an idea. It's, it came on the heels of four years of a presidential, like a a president who um, white people and evangelical Christians voted for and then thought, oh, oh dear, (laughs) like what is going on? So all of that, Um, just the like the cumulative effects of all of these um, deaths that started to be in the news and then um, a pandemic. So we're all sitting at home. Mm -hmm. Um, So I have some black friends and authors who I follow who were like my My book is on the New York Times bestsellers list after two years of being out and no one cared about it. And now here it is. And everyone is buying these books and learning and everything. And then what happens? This compassion fatigue or learning fatigue or whatever. And so now even two years later, you'll see a lot of, at least I do see a lot of people saying um, that, oh, that was really nice. That nice little gesture that you had there for a little while. Now you can go Mm -hmm. back to not caring. Right. Um, I don't think it's, Completely hopeless. I, I once you wake up, you cannot go back to sleep unless you very, very intentionally decide I will yeah. I refuse to hear anything else. Yeah. Um, so that's a big step is getting people to wake up. So mm-hmm. once they wake up, I think there's there's more hope there. Yeah. Um, so how do I know when to coddle? I, okay, so I never I, I don't shame people. Some people may feel shamed. But I try hard not to do that um, mm-hmm. myself. I can't. I I can't know how my words are going to land on you. Like I have, I could have a couple of friends and I say something, and one friend is like, "Thank you for that. I really needed to hear it." And the other friend is like, "I'm going to unfriend you on Facebook. I don't want to talk to you ever again." Mm-hmm. And I've had several people come back to me uh, four years later. Like someone just recently, she sent me a message on Instagram and said. I unfriended unfollowed you four years ago when you were talking about racism and I've since woken up and I'm really sorry. Can we be wow. friends again? I was like, yep, we can. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cause they're just not ready. But again, what I say is like it, Martin Luther King Jr. in the Birmingham jail in like 1960 something, 1963, maybe he said that the white moderates and the Christians are like, well, let's just take our time. We can't, make all these changes all at once we can't expect people to change overnight that was in ni- the 1960s and it 2022 some. Yeah. yeah and we it so I, I that's not good enough anymore if people yeah. are dying it's urgent now it's mm-hmm. urgent yeah um and so yeah but I, I will never run out of things to learn like i mean when you the first black woman who made a million dollars from her novel was um, Anne Petrie, a novel called the street, which is really good. I think it was published in 1925. Wow. So obviously when, when black people were enslaved and it was illegal for them to read and write, they weren't writing a lot of things, which again, makes me so angry because I think of all that was stolen from them, like all that they could have written down. Um, so when you've got novels being written from 1925 up to 2022 by black women and you've got to catch up and there are new ones being written every yeah. day. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing I tell people, cause I have friends or people I meet online who like me live in a very, I, I don't know, but live in a very white place and mm-hmm. their friend circles are white. And so they ask, how do I make a black friend? Like, how do I do yeah. this? And what I tell them, number one you can't expect a Black person to come along and be your token friend. Like that's right. not a fair ask for someone and right. for yeah. a Black person to go into a space of white people who don't know anything about mm-hmm. uh, anti-racism or Blackness or what it's like to be Black, that is, that unless you're paying them a whole lot of money, <laughs> which most people aren't when they just want to find a friend, um, that's not what you could do. Yeah. So what I encourage people, is to work on yourself right now, work on becoming a safe friend for a black person to have like someone who has read history. Um, I have this book here called Stamped from the Beginning by Ibram X. Kendi. And it is huge. It's, it goes through the whole entire history of racism in this country. It's like five or 600 pages long, but the good news is there is a young person's adaptation um, called stamped racism, anti-racism in you. I encourage people to read that one. Is it for kids? Yes. And also you will get, it's like the cliff's notes of this this big book. Yeah. Learn the history, read novels by black women, Um, follow, start following people on wherever you're at Twitter, Instagram, Mm -hmm. Facebook, who are black, just learn and learn and learn and learn, see what's going on, pay attention to the news, start opening your eyes. And it's not, I mean, we're talking a lot about black and white here too. But when I like in Cambodia, different countries, um, I have a book called America for Americans, a history of xenophobia in the United States, written by erica lee who is an asian american professor and that like there's it's so overwhelming but you can start somewhere if you don't like to read Mm -hmm. then go watch youtube videos go listen to podcasts um just start learning
0: Mm -hmm.
1: um and then yes try to diversify your yeah your circles if you live in a uh a very white place. I mean, now everyone, we're all online. And then after the pandemic started, we're all on Zoom and everything happens like right. that. So you can and meet people. Um, but it's an effort. It takes an effort, especially if you've gone, if you went as long as I did and mm-hmm. you're pretty much starting from scratch in your yeah. 30s. Um, but I have friends, I have quite a few friends in their early 70s who are on these anti-racism journeys. I met two. I went to this, um, this legacy trip, which mm. is, I don't know if you know the Legacy Museum in Montgomery, mm. Alabama. No. Oh, I wish every single person in the whole country could go to this museum. Um, Just Mercy, another book I have here by Brian Stevenson. It's also a movie, um, okay. Michael B. Jordan. Brian Stevenson is a black man and a lawyer who has given his life to helping Inmates, not largely black, but not all black on inmates on death row who are innocent because what um, if you start digging deeply, what happens is a crime Mm -hmm. is committed. They can't find who did it and they just pick someone and it's usually a black man and he goes before this all white jury and they say, yep, sounds like you did it. And he's in jail. So I've read multiple stories by men who are in prison like 30 35 years and then brian stevenson helped get them out because they did not commit it and there's evidence still there it's just hidden um so brian stevenson is the like he is behind this museum it's called the Mm -hmm. legacy museum it is so powerful it takes you from like the 1400s in in our country and when the first enslaved people came over from africa it's very visual you walk through you see things on tv screens you see statues you have these immersive experiences. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. Um, I went on a trip led by black women and met two women named Anne, who are white women from North Carolina, both in their (laughs) Mm seventies, who are committed to being anti-racist and then sharing all of this with their friends, which is a huge encouragement to me because I have some people in my life around that age who I've kind of given up hope <laughs> yeah. that they might have their eyes open, but sure. the ands and some other people have given me, wow. given me a
0: lot of hope. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I just had jury duty actually this year in Minneapolis, oh. um, Wow. which was a fascinating experience to be like, I'm in the same building where Derek Chauvin was convicted. Like oh, that could have wow. been me. Um, wow. I had to defer my first jury duty when I was first summoned and I probably would have been on the Kim Potter trial had I not deferred. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. So it's just mind blowing to be to, for that experience. And so, um, friends who are new to the podcast, I talked about that in episode 67. Um, and there are some opportunities in the criminal justice system. And obviously mm-hmm. I, um, could only talk about my experience, um, and didn't dive deep into like the history of it and everything, but like, I am aware yeah. that, that, that policing came from unfortunately keeping slaves enslaved. Um, but shared, just shared my own experience as a white, as as a single white woman, um, and how the, the criminal justice system and the juries like, it really felt like they were favoring the white men. Every time they called someone on the jury, Mm. like I happened to overhear a couple of people who were, who were accepted and who were declined. I mean, the only people I heard who were accepted were white men. The one man of color in the room was declined. Um, two single females were declined. Like it just, and I genuinely wanted to be on that jury and I was declined. And it's, it is a mess. Like that could be yeah, 10 yeah. more podcasts, but it, it really oh, for sure, is for a sure. mess.
1: And, and I would encourage people to watch the movie. Just mercy is really mm, well done. Um, if yeah. you don't want to read the book, but it just, again, wakes you up to, sure. Oh, so you mean justice doesn't mean fair because it's not mm, fair. Right. And we just assume that it is right. We yeah. assume that it, they must be doing things fairly.
0: They are not. Yeah. Um, yeah. and people yeah. are dying. And, uh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, so you've mentioned a lot of different book and movie resources. You mentioned podcasts. Do you have any good podcasts to recommend?
1: Oh, wow. That is a good question. Um, I just listened to one. We had to listen to this podcast for, before we went on the trip, the legacy mm-hmm. trip yeah. and it's called seeing white. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's actually a white man that does it, but he brings in a lot of black professors and other people. So that's a good one. I think okay. it's just, he goes through different scenario, like situations and things that happened in history in the U S and yeah. talks about them and just introduces you to a lot of mm-hmm. things.
0: And a lot of the books that you've read, <laughs> you've posted online on white girl learning. So where can we find you online? If we want to learn more from the breadth of knowledge that you are. Um,
1: yes. So it's white girl learning on Instagram. That's where I post and I have, I was posting like three days a week. Then I went up to every other day. Then I now I've been posting every day for quite a long time. Mm -hmm. My niece who is 12 and my neighbor here in South Carolina, she posts every Monday. Um, middle grade books by authors of color. Oh, cool. And she's amazing. Her reviews are really great. So I try to do, I try to be pretty diverse about it where I do picture books, middle grade books, young adult sure. books, nonfiction, fiction. My favorite is nonfiction. I'm just of trying course. to learn all this stuff. Yeah. And then I'll do six stacks, the Sunday six stack, which is usually, um, I mean, sometimes I'll group them by color with flowers, like it's just something visually mm-hmm. pleasing. But other times it'll be six books on this specific topic, okay? Um, or six books by this author, or six books sure. if you want to learn more about sure. X, Y, Z. Um, and so that's White Girl Learning on Instagram, and then I'm also Marla Taviano on Instagram, and I this has been tricky for me because I want to separate. Cause I am also a writer. I'm writing my own things. Yeah. I don't want to make money off of anti-racism work. That's the mm. thing that I decided yeah. quite a while ago. Um, but then I spent so much time there on that platform. And then I used to be an author. I mean, I'm, I'm still an author, but I had traditionally published books back in the day. and yeah. did some self-publishing. Um, so now I'm trying to get that back up and going. Sure. Um, but I don't really promote my stuff on the white girl learning, which is where I have all the followers. So I'm always looking for new people to hang out with me, a Marla Taviano. and Twitter is also at Marla Saviano. And Twitter I have found to be an amazing space. Like you can go, if you go to white girl learning on Instagram, I am everybody I follow is yeah. a person of color so cool. if you're looking for people to follow you can go nice. through there yeah um and like I was saying I didn't want to separate it so on my Marla Taviano I follow some of those same people not all sure. of them but not there too and then Twitter I've just learned so much um from so mm. many black authors black preachers activists And that's another great place. Like I said, just who are you listening to? Like if you look through your social media, I get Mm -hmm. it. If it's just, if you only follow your friends or you only, if it's just a friend thing for you, but if you're following influencers or people you like to, to read, um, just check and see and look at your bookshelf. Look, if you are a reader, look and see Mm -hmm. how many of the authors are white. Um, I guarantee you, it's going to be a lot. If you are white and you read a lot and you've never intentionally read books by people of color um and yeah and then I have a website it's it's me marla.com okay that's a new one I haven't done a lot there um but yeah and then my book that just came out its first birthday her first birthday is coming up at the end of September I don't know when this will air um but it's called unbelief poems Mm. on the journey to becoming a heretic and it's really like the, the word heretic is a little scary to put in the title, um, sure. but I am, I am a heretic by many people's definitions. I went from zealous evangelical Christian girl to, hmm, I don't know how I feel about yeah. <laughs> all of this and I'm still, yeah. still working through that, but there are sections in the book, like the poem I read about Trayvon, there's a section in the book about um, white supremacy and racism, the sure. LGBTQ community. I write an apology letter to them mm. for the many, many years that I yeah. thought that they were living in sin and, um, there's stuff about waking up to patri- the patriarchy and feminism mm-hmm. and just all of the different things. Yeah. Um, so my day job is writing for other people and business people, but my yeah. dream is to write all my own stuff. We'll see love how it. long that takes. Yeah, <laughs>
0: I love it. Um, and I love books. Like we had talked about like ways to travel when you don't have the funds to travel. Books mm-hmm. are another easy way to do it. Like zoos are oh. an idea, but then books are such uh, an absolutely. easy way to do it. Um, I think it was probably probably before the pandemic. Cause the pandemic, I, I had a pretty good reading list, but um, and I wasn't going into stores, but I didn't, I had just graduated from grad school. So I didn't have any money to travel, I had just bought a house. So really didn't have any money um, yeah. and would walk into bookstores and just be like, recommend me something international. And I would just yeah. walk around and like pick up all the international books that I could find that looked half appealing. And then once my arms were loaded, <laughs> I would wear, narrow it down and decide which ones I was actually buying. Um, but getting to travel internationally. And so one of my bookshelves downstairs is actually um, organized by geography. And oh, so, I yeah, I mean, I have an English degree, right. And I, my, my advisor, and then I spend a lot of time in the American lit space. So I've got a lot of American literature um, though. One of my classes was African-American lit. So I have actually a pretty decent collection of black oh, authors, great. which is nice. Yeah. Um, all a little bit older at this point. Um, yeah. Obviously I've updated it, but, um, but then looking at my Um, My world shelf, unfortunately, just so much of it like I had American, European, and then the rest of the world fit on like a shelf and a half. And I was like, Mm. maybe we should be able to split out the world a little bit better. And so we have split (laughs) Latin America and Asia.
1: Well, I love that you do that because honestly- we, I think we tend to overestimate how much we know or how much yeah. we've read or whatever. Yeah. But then you put it out there and you're seeing, oh, so really. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's this this country that I live in and this country yeah. where my ancestors are from. And then the whole entire rest of the world right. Is, is right here. Right. And realizing that we, we do that. It's like mm-hmm. us and then the yep. rest of the world. And yeah. not realizing how unique everything is. Like ever since I lived in Cambodia, I love reading novels that Mm -hmm. are set in Cambodia by Cambodian authors, Vietnamese authors, Thai authors. Like it's just, I mean, obviously we can't read everything and all of it, but we can do more than we, and it, and they're so good. Like that's Mm -hmm. been my, one of my biggest takeaways is how did I miss all of this? Like I missed all of this goodness. And that's another thing rather than going the shaming route, I want to go, do you know what you're missing? Yeah. <laughs> like, that yeah. seems to drop in more. Mm-hmm. Well, we're like, missing oh, it.
0: Yeah. We're missing it. Cause it's hard to find. Like one of yeah. the things that I've done is I have not done a great job of this, but I would love to be able to read something from every country before I travel to it. Mm. And sometimes it's just really hard to find something. And I try to use the criteria of, I want a Cuban author. If I'm going to Cuba, I don't yeah. want an American writing about Cuba. Um, yeah, right. or like, I want to actually be able to read somebody and it's sometimes really hard to find or the books are sold out or like you found this book that you're really eager to read and you literally cannot find a copy of it. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's hard, but it's worth it. Um, and so yeah. you have to keep struggling through it. And a lot of times it ends up, I read it once I get back. Cause I have finally found a copy maybe even while I was in country, um, and books are really expensive in other countries. So I try to avoid yes, that, but if that's are. what I gotta do, <laughs> that's what I gotta do. Right.
1: Yeah. And the thing is, the reason they're hard to find is because they're not published as much because people don't think that all the white people in the U S are going to read them. So that's another thing i found. The more we buy these books and Mm -hmm. read these books and talk about these books and Mm -hmm. share these books, publishers do take notice. They say, Oh, Mm -hmm. so you mean what? Because It's money to them. So just like in 2020, when publishers saw that white people were actually buying books by black authors, they're like, Oh, well, then let's publish some, which they should have been doing What a, a concept, lot. right. But, um, yeah. So that's, it's definitely, that's how you can, I know not everyone has a bookstagram and talks about their books. Oh, you could just post a book in your story at any, you never yeah. know what, mm-hmm. um, you just going to see it and it's just yeah. like a small thing that you can do. And as someone who writes books and is trying really hard to get people to see them, I know yeah. Like that's my way. I love my neighbor as myself. Mm -hmm. I would love people to read my books. So I'm going to tell all the people I know about your book. Like that's what I, I want to do.
0: Um, yeah. And I just love reading. So (laughs) I don't share about my books a lot on Instagram, Though in this conversation, I think I'm going to do that more often. Yay! Um, (laughs) I kind of get stuck in ruts and I'm like, no one wants to be stuck in this rut or like I have an English degree and an MDiv, so I can get really nerdy. Um, and I'm like, no one wants to read about my really nerdiness. You want to know what? That is not true.
1: That is absolutely (laughs) not true. There are people out there. They just need to find you and they don't know that about you until they see a stack of nerdy books. (laughs) Valid.
0: But I do log everything that I read on Goodreads and I try to put like a one sentence or two sentence review on there. But I also, a lot of the work that I do is for a Christian audience. And sometimes I read things that are really not for a Christian yeah, audience. Yeah. <laughs> so I try to include the disclaimer, my book club read this. Like that, that's yeah, the disclaimer yeah. of, hey, maybe not safe for a Christian audience. My right, book club recommended right. this. <laughs> yeah.
1: Although I do, I also encourage Christians. That was me. I read all Christian fiction all the time. It's another reason I missed out on all this good stuff. Sure. And just telling people, you know what? You don't have to agree with everything. Oh, yeah. Oh for sure. Or, for like, sure. And these words or whatever, it's, it's okay. Like you can do it. And again, I know like my mom, I would not be able to convince her to, I have convinced her to read a few things, but I know my limits, Yeah, (laughs) Um, yeah. but just saying, you know what, this doesn't make you a bad person or a bad Christian to open your eyes to what other people are writing about. But anyway, yeah, yeah,
0: Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's helpful to read, although sometimes I'm like, okay, I need to be, some people do see me as a pastor. I need to be really careful what this pastor is recommending. Yeah. Speaking
1: Um, of that, a pastor in my small town, the small white town I was talking about at a Mennonite church, he and two women, my, my high school English teacher who was in her seventies and another professor in her seventies, they met in the church library and read my book, like did a book club with my book together, the book about. Coming a heretic, like no way. They it. And they posted the photo, and I was like, "Okay, this is wild." Wow. Because I've had some people in my small town who want to read it. Um, I did send it to my parents. After a while, I have not heard back from them. But yeah. So again, I'm not saying that you have sure. to be like that pastor. I'm just saying I th- things are mm-hmm. changing, and sometimes are. pastors are kind of leading the way. And it yeah. depends on how you approach it. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just there's a lot it's a lot of it is fear-based and if you can show we don't need to be afraid like and I always say like if your beliefs can't survive scrutiny or you can't read something else and still believe what you believe then maybe what you believe isn't for sure that great it should really be able to hold up Um, definitely and and don't you want to know if it doesn't like yeah no we don't (laughs)
0: yeah yeah we
1: should we should want to know if it really especially if your beliefs are harming people. And that's another thing that I tell people all the time. You, you can believe differently from me. Absolutely. We don't have to believe the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, If your belief isn't harmful, hold on to it. And we can have different beliefs, but when your beliefs are specifically harming a whole population or whatever, Mm -hmm. anyway, so we don't all have to agree, but we, we shouldn't be harming people with the things that we believe. Agreed.
0: Well, yeah. and that, I mean, that's part of the show, right? Like I had to decide very intentionally if I was going to invite diverse perspectives on the show, I couldn't force my own belief on them.
1: Right. Like I right. remember
0: sitting in an episode, listening to someone talk about their personal experience and their personal belief, um, and not a word of it that I believe. And mm. I had to decide in that moment, do I like try to correct them? And I was like, no, like, yeah, that's I invited them yeah. on this show to yeah, share their perspective. Yeah. <laughs> and And I still have to use discernment in that, like, I think I call it slant theology where it sounds like it's true, but it's just not quite true Um, that I actually have a harder time with than the far out. There is absolutely no way Katie as a Christian believes this, Um, but it's not about what I believe. It's about them sharing, creating space for that. And so uh, getting to learn from them, I get to learn that their beliefs are very different than mine, but here's the common ground. Here's what I can learn from them. And this yeah. is a concept that I can borrow myself. When you talk about like, I had this experience or I used to be in this all white community, used to um, support Christian missions, those types of things. How did you change your mind? Like, what advice do you have for someone who's in that process of changing their mind and, and adjusting what they believe?
1: Um, okay. So for me, it literally was books. Like I have a poem in this book. It's, I was this Christian girl with all the answers. I knew everything. It was great. And then something happened. Mm. And then the next poem is books happened (laughs) Uh, because that I did start to, and now for me, it was the multi-ethnic church plant that we, Mm -hmm. we were with, you cannot change your mind unless you open your mind. Like if you Mm -hmm. go into something and you are determined that this thing that I believe I will be holding firm, no matter what this person says. So then everything that comes to you from that person, you are figuring out ways that you can push it away. Sure. Opening your mind is not as simple as me just saying, just open your mind. Yeah, (laughs) We cannot, it's not an open and close. We have brain grooves. And again, I don't know the science behind it all, but there are literal grooves in our brain that are worn by Mm -hmm. us repeating the same thing over and over again. And Mm -hmm. I've realized that I read the Bible through like 10, 15 times, starting from when I was little, I journaled Mm -hmm. every single day. I'm listening to the same things over and over again do you know how deep my brain grooves were? I was like enforcing it. I was reinforcing it by writing it down Mm -hmm. every single day. Like, and even memorizing scripture is a way of making these certain brain grooves. Not that you can't memorize scripture, but things that we believe and repeat over and over and over that's deep. It's not open Mm -hmm. your mind. It's how are we going to change these grooves? So just saying like what I said before, just being open. Is it possible that what I believe about this particular thing is not the whole truth? Mm. Is it possible there's another um, perspective? It's just like when you're on a jury, the side that you hear first, um, you're like, well, yeah, that sounds really like legit. And then the side that you hear next, you're like, oh, but you have to hear both sides. And if you grew up hearing one side for 35 years and you don't hear the other side until you're mm-hmm. 36, that's a whole lot of years to, to decide that this, this side is the right side. O- like opening your mind and reading diverse perspectives. And again, you're not going to find a book that you agree with every single thing that the author right. said. My dad had a book accidentally that was sent to him instead of to me. And he told me he read it and I was shocked. And I was like, Oh, what did you think? Cause a friend of mine wrote it. Yeah. And he's like, I disagreed with it. And I said, well, which parts? And he's like, all of it, all of it. I'm like, that's mm-hmm. not possible. <laughs> like it's not. Yeah. You can't disagree. There's a book about the American, the myth of the American dream. Um, and I was like, no, that, that's not how this works. But just being open to yeah. hearing people's perspectives. And here's the thing about what's so great about what you're doing is that it's really hard to argue with someone's story. If mm-hmm. I say to you, this happened to me, now maybe my interpretation, like you don't agree with how I interpreted what happened to me. Sure. But if I tell you this story and you can't just say, well, you, that's wrong. You're you're not, that's false. Right. No, right. it happened. Like that's what happened to me. Mm-hmm. And so that's the danger when you don't know people who yeah. believe different things from you. You don't know their story. You don't know- yeah if you have not talked to a, a black man who has had an encounter with a police man, yeah. like our pastor who is black and um, was pulled over, like all these different times that he was pulled over and you're like, oh, well, that shouldn't happen to a black pastor. That only happens to someone who's doing something wrong. No, no. it happens to anyone whose skin yeah. is black. So yeah. you, but you have to talk to the people and you have to listen to the mm-hmm. people and you, you don't have people in your personal circle that are willing to share with you, then you need to go looking for people that you can listen to. How do you know who to trust? Well, that's a tricky one. How do any of us know Um, Mm -hmm. you can find someone that you do trust and then find someone that they trust. That's kind of the thing. Just like book recommendations. If someone I trust recommends a book to me, I'll pretty much buy it immediately just because I trust this person. So you just got you have to go in with as open a mind mm. as you possibly can yeah. and it will hurt at first it will be it hard does. the cognitive dissonance will yeah. just it will make you feel sick <laughs> yeah but if you keep going through it then you will finally get to a place where you're like what else can i learn what else do i believe that's wrong right. and it's actually freeing
0: mm-hmm. um
1: and for me who was constantly worried about how can i make sure that no one shakes my faith now it's like who else can I learn from that might yeah. have a challenge to this? And yeah. I'm not worried. And people do worry, especially evangelical Christians, that one little chink in the armor and the whole right. thing crumbles. And it's a slippery slope. And it is, it actually is. But it, n- not everybody ends up in this terrible space. You can, you can break down the pieces and then rebuild them up. You don't, right. you're not stuck in the, you don't have to become an atheist. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just being as open as you can, learning from, people Mm -hmm. whose stories are different, like you're already doing. So people could actually just listen to your podcast as a start, especially people who, who know you, Mm -hmm. um, and trust you like that. You are going to, yeah, yeah, that's my advice. Yeah. But yeah, I just encourage people. It it can be scary. You can Mm -hmm. lose friends. They might come back. They might not. Um, it shakes up a lot of stuff, Mm -hmm. but it's, I I would not trade it for anything in the world. Like it's just, it's, beautiful. It's freeing. Mm-hmm.
0: And the other thing I would say is you're never going to feel like you know it all. Like, Oh my God. There's always going to be more to learn. You're always going to be learning from your own mistakes. That's the biggest oh, yeah. thing is being willing to be called out and be like, Hey, that wasn't very nice. And like, Sorry. I didn't mean it that way. Yeah. This was what it I was hurts. thinking. I have, was clearly yeah. wrong. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I haven't gotten used to that. I mean, obviously I'm getting better, less mistakes, but, yeah. but what I have also learned I had a black friend um not too long ago and she emailed me about something that I had said like a phrase that I used and um I felt terrible and I apologized and I said all this stuff and she said it's only because I love you I wouldn't normally even bother telling anyone because it's not worth it to her she can't go around and tell every single person but I'm I'm a friend of hers, and I meant something to her, and mm-hmm. so she wanted to do that. So if we can look at it that way, and I mean, yeah. not everyone who corrects you is going to be doing it out of love because of your friend, but sometimes that mm-hmm. that will happen, and that's yeah. actually an honor. Not, I mean, once you get past the, right. <laughs> the, the like injury to your pride, um, yeah. But yeah, and there's no way that w- that we can go through without. Mm-hmm. messing up and I think that's the fear but if you think about it so we're gonna do nothing we're gonna learn nothing just right. because we're afraid um that's not mm-hmm. that, that's not gonna work yeah,
0: yeah no um if I can plug my own podcast one more time episode yeah. 61 we talked to um Leonard who was like the questions you have about race that you're not that you've been afraid to ask and so he mm. was willing to answer all of our like ridiculous questions just like from white people to black people like what what's going on here why why do people want to defund the police how is that going to help why is this okay here and not okay here and I'm unpacking all of that so if you're starting this journey that is a good episode to go back and listen to
1: and and that is a gift and like I said for sure um, we can't just you you can't just ask people and that's another thing Mm -hmm. wait in 2020 so many black people, like millions of them were getting white people in their DMs. So tell me about racism. <laughs> Can you imagine mm-hmm. that amount of, like it's called emotional labor. It's also time. Yeah. Who yep. has that kind of time and they're living it. They, it's not their job to right. educate you. So listen to that podcast episode that Katie is talking about because there is someone who has said, I will take this time, this hour or whatever, and I will answer these questions. It's a safe space. And you can find a lot of that. There are a Mm -hmm. lot of people. For sure. sure. And again, you can read their books. They wrote these books. You can pay $15. They're getting some money from that. And then you're learning from them and not just expecting them to take an hour out of their day Mm -hmm. to tell you this one white person. catch you up on the last. Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure.
1: 100 years plus of history. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. I had to go apologize to a friend of color being like, I am so sorry. I forced you to educate me on all these things. Yeah. And that's again, we don't think about that. We're like,
1: Oh, you can tell me. And we're not, we're not thinking that it's another mistake that so many of us make. And so hopefully people that are listening and that's kind of my thing. I want to help people avoid that. Mine was a long journey. We don't yeah. have that kind of time right now. You cannot take ten years to wake up to racism like I did. Right. You got to wake up faster. So yep. let's get through like how we can do yeah. this faster. There's not. It's not like a shortcut that you can just do a mm-hmm. formula and here it is, or take one class and there it is. But you can absolutely avoid a ton of mistakes and time mm-hmm. by
0: learning from other people who have already right. been through it. Um, for sure. Yeah. And if they recommend a resource, watch it, listen to it, read it, whatever it is, because they have taken the time to say this is good. It saves them the time to have explain it to you and you can actually learn. Yeah. And then follow up with them, be like, okay, I watched this and I didn't understand this bit. Can you help me? That I feel like is acceptable. Mm -hmm. But you have to have taken the time to utilize the resource they've recommended. Right. Absolutely. Marla, this has been so much fun. What have I not asked you that you're dying to talk about?
1: Uh, but yeah, I would love for people to check out my book. It's called okay. Unbelieve, like I said, yeah. and um, I just poured my heart and soul into that. So it's mm-hmm. it's very much a faith deconstructing journey, but an anti-racism journey. And it's True. it's in poems, but they are um, it's not traditional poetry. Some people have called it unpoetry. It's kind of like poetry and verse. Some of the poems are really short. Some are longer. Yeah. but a lot of people are relating to it. Cause I found that there's a lot of people out there on that journey. Like you're saying that there aren't nerdy people like you out there. Yeah, they are. We just have to find I'm sure there the are. people yeah. who, yeah. Who are on this thing that we're on and mm-hmm. it's, it's just really great. Like almost every day I get a message from someone and said, they say they resonated with it or it really helped them. And I love it. Like, that's what I want to do. Like that's what you're yeah. doing here. You just want to, I don't know, put good in the world, connect people, learn from people, share mm-hmm. stories um, in whatever way that we can do that. And yeah. and writing is is how is how I like to do it.
0: That's awesome. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us today, for sharing your perspective um, and the resources so that we can shift our perspective a little bit to be more aware and to continue to learn. It's been super helpful. Yeah. And
1: anyone feel free um, to send me a direct message on Instagram. If you have a specific question about a book or you want me to point you in that direction, a lot of times I'll just go through someone asks me and I can just tag them in my post. I have like, perfect. I don't know how many posts I've been doing this for five years, almost every day. So I've got a lot of posts and I can just show you that. And you can just, it's not a ton of work for me because then they can just go read what I already wrote about it. Um, but it's hard to sort through all all of those photos and books. I can't imagine
0: promoting a book every single day for years like my mind is just blown by that I love it like I have
1: so many unread books I've got I got so yeah (laughs) it is time consuming but it is a it is a labor of love for me it's kind of like reparations I'm giving back
0: yeah I wouldn't yeah I I love it (laughs) what a what an awesome resource for yourself and for the rest of us so thank you for doing that yeah you're welcome I loved getting to chat with Marla. Be sure to check out the rest of our conversation in episode 76 as we hear a few more of her personal stories, like what it was like to be on the last flight out of Cambodia in March of 2020, and to leave her daughter behind in Cambodia in March of 2020. That story and so many more are in episode 76. I hope you also take advantage of the wealth of knowledge that she is and some of the book recommendations that she has. You can find those on Instagram at white girl learning. Also connect with her at, at Marla Taviano. While you're on Instagram, I'd love to connect as well. I'm at Katie Axelson. Until I see you next, I hope that you are learning something fun. I hope that you've got some new experiences. And I hope you know just how big of an impact you are making on those in your world. We'll see you in two weeks. Bye-bye.